Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Today is week 8 in our study that we're calling Living for a Legacy as we're walking through the great book of the book of Joshua. And how many of you grew up going to Sunday school? Where are my Southeast Texas Sunday school people at? All right, look at that. And Joshua actually contains some of the most famous Sunday school stories. You probably heard about these as a child. You maybe used the flannel graph and the the felt board, and you might have heard these stories like in Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. That's every white girl on Instagram's bio. Be strong and courageous, hashtag blessed. We saw Rahab as He sends two spies into Jericho. I was going to call that sermon the shady lady, uh, but I called it highly unlikely. It's a a famous story. And last week was all of the dude's favorite stories, the circumcision sermon. Amen. All the guys were looking forward to that one. We saw the Jordan River part ways. But today we're actually going to see what might be the most famous story in the book of Joshua, and it is the walls of Jericho. If you have your Bibles, we're in Joshua 6, and the sermon today is this, walls will fall. Now, here's what I know, that every single one of us, as we walk through these doors, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. We all have different upbringings. We all come from different beliefs. We all have different things that are happening and in our lives. But here's the one thing that I know that every single person sitting in this room has in common. You know what that is? We all have problems. Okay, that's the one thing we all have in common is that we all have problems. Raise your hand if you have problems. You got a problem in your life? Okay, then guess what? You're in good company because everybody in this room, we all have problems problems. It's the one thing that is inevitable about life. It's the one thing that is unavoidable in this life. You will have problems. And the Bible is very honest about this. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything, doesn't placate, doesn't pretend that you're never gonna have problems. In fact, Jesus says it like this. In the book of John, he says, in this life, you will have trouble. Okay. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus wants you to know that there is going to be trouble. There is going to be problems. There is going to be battles that you're going to face. There's going to be dark days. There's going to be hard days. There's going to be difficulties. But don't say that I didn't warn you. See, some people, when they come to faith in Jesus, they think that everything's going to magically get better and they're never going to have any other problems. They're like, I gave my life to Jesus. The rest of my life is singing and skipping and eating Skittles and rainbows and butterflies, easy, busy, chicken, greasy. But that's not the real authentic Christian life. Jesus even says it like this. He says, there will be trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Joshua understands this. Joshua gets this because in Joshua 1, God came and spoke to him and he said, Joshua, I need you to be strong and courageous. He was hand selected to be the leader of the nation of Israel to bring them into the promised land that God had given to them. And so afterwards, he leads the entire nation through the river Jordan. They walk through on dry ground. They grab 12 stones. The priests pray. It's a great big breakthrough in their life. It's an incredible, wonderful, amazing moment. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they go through the river, what do they do? They hit a wall, the walls of Jericho. Have you ever noticed that's how life is sometimes, right? Like everything's going great. And all of a sudden it falls apart. Like everything's going really good. And then all of a sudden, uh oh, boom, you hit a wall. Walls are inevitable. Walls are unavoidable. In this life, there will be walls. Now I wish it wasn't the case. Like, I wish that I could tell you that you're never going to have any walls. I wish I could tell you you're never going to have any problems, but I'd be lying to you. I wish I could tell you that you could go around the walls of Jericho, but you can't go around the walls of Jericho. I wish I could tell you that you could go over the walls of Jericho, 
But there ain't no going over the walls. They didn't invent planes 4,000 years ago. There ain't no going over those walls. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. But with God, here's what you can do. You can go through it because it's God who makes the walls fall down. Every single one of us, we will journey through Jericho. We will encounter walls. We will experience problems. And Jerichos come in all different shapes and sizes. Okay, some people's Jericho is their marriage, that your marriage is struggled and strained. Some people, you're here today, and your, your Jericho is relationships. There is drama and trauma within those relationships. Some of you, it's financial. Some of you, it's physical. Maybe you need a physical healing. Maybe there's a physical strength that you need. Maybe there's cancer. Maybe it's a diabetes. Maybe it's an undiagnosed illness that you're experiencing. Some people, it's mental health, that you are struggling and depressed, you're anxious, overwhelmed, could be a bipolar diagnosis, whatever it is, every single one of us, here's what I know, is we walk through these doors experiencing problems and everybody's journeying through Jericho. I was looking it up this week and I, I just wanted to learn, you know, because we have a lot of new guests, we have a lot of new people, church is growing, woo, that's a good thing. And as the church is growing, I, I was just interested, what is the cause for people to come to Christ? What is the reason that people visit church for the first time? And it was fascinating because according to the study, people who began attending church within the last three months, one of the top reasons they started attending was because they experienced a crisis in their life. Something led them to this point. What did they experience? They came up against a Jericho moment. They came up against something that was bigger than them, that was greater than them, that woke them up and realized that on their own, they can't do this. Last week, I was talking with a young man. He came, it was his first time, and asked him, I said, hey, what, what brought you here? He had actually met Ethan earlier in the week, so shout out to evangelism. Your staff and team is doing evangelism. Those invite cards, they do work, don't they? And he came to church because his, his girlfriend was about to have a baby and he realized, hey, you know what? I'm not the man I need to be to be the father that I need to be. And he was raised in church. And after several years, he came back to church. And last week, he rededicated and committed his life to Jesus. Why? Because he had experienced a Jericho moment in his life. And as those walls were building up around him, here's what he did. He put his trust and faith in God, and God made those walls begin to fall. The truth is, is that we serve a God who loves to knock down walls. We serve a God who loves to break down walls. We love a God. We serve a God who loves to show himself faithful in every situation of our lives. That's the God that we serve. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. This is going to drive our thoughts for the day. And it's this, obstacles are opportunities in disguise. Now, some of you don't like hearing that. You're like, what do you mean obstacles are really opportunities? Because obstacles, they, they really, they, they create opportunities, opportunities to grow or opportunities to run away, opportunities to persevere or opportunities to give up. Obstacles really are opportunities in disguise. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's God who's the source of the problems in your life. Because the book of James says we have three enemies. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right, the world is against us, the devil hates us, and sometimes we are our own worst enemy, amen? Right, you can't get mad at God for you shooting yourself in the foot and punching yourself in the face. Some of the problems you face are your problems. But those obstacles become opportunities. Listen, with God, obstacles become opportunities. Trials are opportunities for triumph. Battles are opportunities for blessing. And tests are opportunities for your greatest testimony in your life. Because we serve a God who loves to tear down walls. And so that's what we're going to see today in Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to give you three ways that walls fall. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. How many of you love the Bible? How many of you love reading the Bible? Okay, well, good, because we're going to read almost an entire chapter, all right? Here we go. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went in and none came out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of a ram's horn before the ark. 
On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make the long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. Not just a normal shout, not just an average shout, but with what kind of shout? A great shout. Woo! Great shouts. And here's what it says next. It says, then all the people with a great shout and the walls of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight up before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest. Let me just pause right here. Now we know a little Bible trivia for you. We know that Jesus had an earthly mother, but he didn't have a father. He had a, a heavenly father. But do you know who the only person in the Bible who didn't have a mother or father was? Joshua, because he was the son of none. There we go. <laughs> Remember, it's pastor appreciation, all right? called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the Lord, they went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant following them. The, uh, the armed men were walking around before the priests were blowing the trumpets. The rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets were blowing continually, but Joshua, he commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. So shh, until you shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, all my parents in the room, right? Waking up early. Oh, early in the morning, drinking some coffee. Joshua knows exactly how you feel. Woke up early in the morning. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets and the armed men were while trumpets blowing continually. The second day, they marched around the city once, returned to the camp. So they did so for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shouts, for the Lord has given you this City. Now jump down to verse 20. So the people, what did they do? They shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight up before them and they captured the city. This story is a little crazy, isn't it? Like some people you're hearing this and you're like, that doesn't happen. Like walls don't just fall. People don't just walk around and then shout and scream, ah, and then entire cities fall down. Walls don't just fall, but some walls do, right? Right now, we just bought this entire city block. Okay, that building that we're gonna be renovating, those walls might fall down. <laughs> and so please, right, when you're leaving the service, all the charismatics, who has raised charismatic here? Raise charismatic, thank you, brother, thank you, thank you. If you're raised charismatic, go ahead and raise both hands. I know you want to. Uh, so for those who are charismatic, right, grew up Pentecostal, do me a favor, don't Jericho march around the building because it actually might fall down. Uh, that's why we're actually hiring contractors and engineers and architects because we want to make sure that this wall will not fall when we build that building. But there are some walls that we actually do want to see fall down and God causes the walls to fall down. And you would say that that doesn't happen. I know it doesn't. That's why it's called a miracle. Right? By definition, miracles would not happen without divine intervention. It, it wasn't Joshua who knocked down the walls. It wasn't even just an earthquake that knocked down the walls. It wasn't the king and their men of valor who knocked the walls down on themselves. No, it was God who caused the walls to fall. This was a miracle. And what I love so much, whenever you're studying the Bible and you're doing research, is whenever you discover that if you give science long enough time, eventually it catches up with God's word. So what do I mean by that? Well, in the 1950s, there was an archeologist, a historian, 
named Kathleen Kenyon, and she was a world-renowned archaeologist, and she had heard about the story of the walls of Jericho, and she wanted to see if it was true, and so she actually led an excavation into that region, and she discovered the remnants of Jericho. It was actually one of the world's oldest walled, fortified cities in all of history, and she, she found it. She discovered it, and she actually drew a, a rendering of uh, about her findings. There's a 3D rendering based upon on her, found, her findings. And she saw that there's actually two walls, not just one, but there's two walls. There's an outer wall and there's an inner wall. And between that, this is where Rahab that we met in chapter two, Rahab, she would have lived on that outer wall. She was a prostitute. She lived in poverty. So she would have been on that outer wall, which means she was the first person to be attacked if the city ever, anybody ever came in. And if you get past the first wall, the second wall is 80 feet high. In our day, that's a lot. That's like eight stories. So when you walk out of here and you see Century Tower, all the other large buildings, just think, that's how tall the walls of Jericho was? I mean, in our day, that's really high. But for the ancient Near East, it would have been impossible for anybody to be able to overthrow that city. It was a garrison city. It was a stronghold. It was the first city to stop Canaan land. So if anybody ever crossed through the river, they would have to go through Jericho and nobody ever defeated Jericho because it was the strongest city that there, there was. And so when she did her research and she did her discovery, just like the Bible said, is what happened to that city. She also discovered this, very interesting, is that when the walls fell, they fell down flat and they fell inwardly, basically creating a ramp so that the invading army could just run up into the city and to be able to take siege of the city. But you know what? We already knew that. We knew that for 4,000 years. Why? Because this is exactly what the Bible says. Here's what it says in, in verse 20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. And then what does it say? The walls fell down flat and the people, they went up straight before them and they captured the city. I just love it. Whenever you give science enough time, eventually it proves the Bible to be right. This is one reason that we love the Bible here, believe the Bible here, preach the Bible here, because God's word is true. It's trustworthy. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us how to live. And we can trust in the God of the Bible because we can also trust the Bible. Amen. Amen. But what's interesting is while science can tell us how the walls fell, science can't tell us why the walls fell. They can only just tell us what they observe but they can't give us the reason. Then again, the Bible actually gives us the reason. So why did the walls of Jericho fall down? Let me give you three reasons why walls fall. Three ways in your life you can see the walls fall. Because I know we all have walls. We all have obstacles. We all have opposition. We all have trouble and struggle. We all have difficult moments that we are facing, that we are going before. And if you're not in a Jericho moment, you probably just came out of a Jericho moment, and you're going to be up against one coming pretty soon. So you better know how walls fall. So let me give you three ways that walls fall. The first way that walls fall is this. Walls fall because of your faith. The author of Hebrews gives us a little bit more information about what happened that day in Jericho. Here's what he writes. He says in Hebrews 11.30, by, what's the word? Faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so what we notice here is that if you want to see walls fall, they do so because of your faith. The walls didn't fall because of Joshua's military might. The walls didn't fall because of Joshua's strength or his strategy. The walls didn't fall for any other reason other than his faith in God. It wasn't his faith in himself. It was his faith in God. It wasn't his own strength. It was God's strength working in its midst and on behalf of him. It was his faith in God that caused the walls to fall. And this is good news for us. It's good news because it doesn't depend on you. Okay, just know that. That right now, whatever you're up against, whatever you're going against, whatever situation you're in, take a deep breath, let it out. Okay, good. Okay, because the good news is it doesn't depend on you. The bad news is, is you can't do it anyway. 
You couldn't do it. On your own, you can't do it. But with God, all things are possible. It wasn't Joshua who knocked the walls down. It was God on behalf of Joshua responding to Joshua that caused the walls to fall down. So many people, when we're struggling, what we do is this. We try to do it on our own. We try to do it on our own effort. We try to do it on our own abilities. And in the end, we just keep repeating the same problems over and over and over again because we don't have enough within us to be able to do it. And so we need a source that comes from outside of us in order to intervene on our behalf. When you struggle in these situations, psychologists will tell us there's basically three ways that people respond. They respond either fight, flight, or freeze. Some people, when you come up against Jericho, you're like, I'm going to do it. I got this. The Rocky music plays behind you. You run in, oh, 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 and you start fighting and lashing out, and you only tend to make matters worse. Other people, what you do is this. You just run away. You're like, oh, no, walls. Oh, walls can't chase me. They're permanent. Oh. And you just run around in circles, and you're running away from the walls. But here's what I've, I've learned. You never fix a problem by running away from it. And then some people, you just freeze. You're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And so you stay stuck in the same problems and situations for the remainder of your life. When it comes to overcoming obstacles and facing walls, you can either have fight, flight, freeze, or you can have faith. It's, it's the faith that leads us to the victory. So let me give you an illustration to, to better help understand this. Because I know there's some people here, you're like, no, I can do it. I got it. So let me, let me just kind of give you an illustration. Now, if you've been coming to Redemption for a while, you know my sermon illustrations don't always go very well. So let's see how this goes. So this light bulb, right, represents you. On its own, the light bulb doesn't emit any light. On its light bulb, the light bulb doesn't even work. It's just, it's just there. But whenever you take this light bulb and this lamp and you plug it in to a power that is greater than itself, what happens? <laughs> Just kidding. Let there be lights. This is the way faith works. Like on your own, you can't do it. This is actually what the Bible says. The Bible says, apart from faith, it is impossible for you to please God. On your own, you cannot do it. But with God, all things are possible. With God, you have access to a power that you don't possess. That's what faith is. Faith is access to a power that you don't possess. So maybe you can't do it, but that's okay. But God can. Maybe you can't overcome it, and that's okay, because God can. And when you prove God's glorious in your life, he loves to show himself off in your life. I mean, this is how salvation works. I mean, the greatest Jericho anybody ever faces is sin, is separation from God. The greatest Jericho we ever face is death, hell, and the grave. And on our own, we can't do it. On our own, Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. But here's what God did. He stepped in and he translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's what our God does. And here's what faith is. Faith is the access to power you don't possess. Without faith, it's impossible to, to please God. And so if you're going up against something right now, I just want to encourage you to have faith, to build your faith, to trust in faith. And you don't have to have a lot of faith. You just got to plug into the faith that God has given you. And as you use that faith, his strength will begin to flow through you. His power will begin to flow through you. And so when you're up against these obstacles, it doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from him. You got to have faith. And then look what it says in, in verse 2. It says that God had given them the land. Before they ever even go into the battle, God promised them the victory. And so Joshua, as he's, as he's leading his army, here, here's what he knows. I know that God's going to make a way for me. I know that God's going to do this for me. I know it because God has said it, and so I trust it, and I believe it. He had faith that God was going to do what God said that he would do. So if you're here today and you're up against a wall, how do you overcome walls? It's not by working harder. It's not by trying harder. It's not by doing better. It's not by being better. Here's how you do it. You plug into faith. 
You connect yourself to the living God of the universe and you let him fight your battles on your behalf. It takes faith to see walls fall down. The second thing it takes is this. It takes obedience. And some people would hear that. They're like, but I believe. That's good. Belief is only part of it, though. That belief also must move to obedience. Now, does it just mean that because they believe that God was going to do it for them, that they had nothing that they were going to do? It's not what it says. It's not what it says. That's what some people think. They're like, well, I just believe in God, and so he should do whatever I tell him. Well, I believe in God, which means I don't have to do anything for the rest of my life. I prayed the prayer when I was 10. I'm good. Is that enough? Is belief enough? No, you need belief and obedience. Jesus says it like this. If you love me, then you will obey me. And if you're not obeying him, you have to question whether or not you really love him. Because faith is evidenced by your obedience. The walls wouldn't have fell just by their faith alone. It also fell because they obeyed the commands that God had told them to do. Look what it says in Hebrews 1130, just the other section of it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, by faith, I believe, I believe. When did the walls fall? Before or after? After they did what? After they encircled the city for seven days. After you obey, that's when you see God move. See, there's a lot of people who they don't like after. No, 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 they don't like after. They say, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. Quid pro quo with God. God, if you come through for me here, then I'm going to do this. God, if you just come through in my family, then I'm going to start going to church. God, if you just give me a raise at work, then I'm going to start giving to the Be Bold Giving campaign. If I get some more money, then I'm going to be more generous. I've discovered that that's not how it works. Right? I've just discovered that if you're not generous now, you won't be generous then. You'll just spend more money. But that's what people want. They say, God, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do this for you, God. If you come through in this situation, then I'm going to start loving my wife. Then I'm going to start serving my kids. Then I'm going to go to next steps next week. But first, you have to do some things for me. And people get so frustrated with God. And they look up and they say, God, why aren't you doing the things that I told you to do? And I have to wonder if God's up in heaven saying, I was thinking the same thing about you. Why aren't you doing the things that I told you to do? I want to be good to you. I want to bless you. I want to show myself faithful to you. I want to work in your life. But first, you got to listen and obey me. Because faith is evident by your obedience. It's not until after they walked around the walls for seven days did they actually see the breakthrough in their life that they were hoping to see. But let me just go ahead and just tell you something straight up. God's going to ask you to do some weird things. Some things that on the surface, they just, don't, they just don't make sense. I mean, how many of you are reading this story and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like they had to walk around one time for six days and on the seventh day, they had to walk around seven times. Why couldn't they just walk around seven times the first day? Just take a shortcut. But so many people want shortcuts to God's miracles. You can't take a shortcut. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes faith. And it takes obedience. So they had to walk around. Could you just imagine what it would have been like to be one of the soldiers in Israel? Can you imagine what it would have been like? Like, all right, we're going to war. What are we going to do? They're like, well... You're going to walk around this city for six days, one time. And on the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. You say, is, is, that, is that it? Like, no, there's going to be priests behind you blowing a trumpet. <laughs> well, that's not going to work. Well, that's what God told us to do. And so we're just going to be obedient to whatever God told us to do. It's just imagine that soldier coming home, right? He gets back to his tent. And his wife's like, hey, honey, how are you doing? They're like... I walked around the city today. <laughs> Did the walls fall? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, I'm just doing whatever God told me to do. So well, what are you going to do tomorrow? They were just going to walk around a city again. Oh, 
What are you going to do the next day? Anchorage is going to do it again. And we're going to do it again and again. But on the seventh day, he says, we're walking around seven times, and it's going to fall. Well, good luck with that. Right? It sounds, it sounds crazy. But for those of you who are new to faith, let me go ahead and just take the mystery of following Jesus out and tell you up front, God's going to ask you to do some crazy things sometimes. Right? God's going to ask you to do some, some crazy things. I mean, crazy things like tithing. It's weird. Like, you mean to tell me that if I give 10%, to God, I can do more on 90% than I can do on 100%? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Sure, but it doesn't make sense. Okay, it's because God uses a different math than we do. <laughs> right, you, say, you mean to tell me that if I, if I go to church with my family every single week, that I have a 50% greater statistical variable to not end up in divorce? It's, yeah. So you mean if I do marriage counseling for six weeks with a pastor or a leader in the church, I redu reduce my divorce rate by 45%? Yes. So you mean to tell me that if I read my Bible every single morning and I pray every single day, then you mean to tell me that that is going to lead to a greater influence in my children's lives and they have less risks of alcoholism, drug addiction, and eating disorders? Yes. You say, but I'm only doing 10 minutes in the morning. How does 10 minutes in the morning prevent them a lifetime of, of pain? It's because God's ways are not our ways. Amen. God's going to ask you to do some crazy things. But here's what I've discovered is that God's ways are not our ways because they're better. They're better than what we would do on our own. God's ways are not our ways. Instead, they are better. And following Jesus, there's going to be some crazy things that God's going to ask you to do. Like, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Like, for one, not too long ago, as you might have remembered, as we were working on buying the new building, the, the lender told us this. He said, he said, hey, Byron, great news. We're going we're gonna to offer this loan to buy the building. Zero down. I was like, zero down? I can afford that. <laughs> and then with the rising cost of construction and the state of the economy that we're in, they called back and they said, hey, bad news. It's going to actually be 60000 down. We had to change the rates. And I thought, 60000 down? I don't have that. <laughs> but while I didn't have the money, here's what I did have. I had the faith. Yeah. I had the faith that God was going to do something, that God was going to answer our prayers. And so here's what we did. We called for a three-day fast. On first Wednesday in August, we called for a three-day fast. For some of y'all, that was your first time to fast. Up until this point, you've only fasted. You've only ate fast food. You never fasted food. <laughs> but we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for three days. And you know what God did at the end of that three days? Nothing. It was like we were just walking around the city. Right? We walked around the first time. What happened? Nothing. What happened the second time? Nothing. What happened the fifth time? Nothing. What happened the sixth time? Nothing. Nothing was happening in the natural, but I can guarantee you something was happening in the supernatural. Yeah. That even though we don't see it, God is still doing something. The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things that are unseen. And that we do not wage war with the weapons of this world, but instead we wage war through prayer and through the spirits. And in that moment, as we're fasting and believing as a church, nothing happened. Then we had a church planter come in, spent the weekend with us. And during worship service, I was sitting right there during worship service. God spoke into my heart. He said, give him $5,000 for his church plant. So you know what I did? I argued with God. I know I'm a terrible pastor, right? And I said, God, I don't know if you know this, but we're trying to raise $60,000. You wanted me to give 5,000 away? Somebody should be giving money to me. Like you got, you got this prayer in reverse, right? Answer it. You're like asking me to give. People should be, no, 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 that's not the prayer that I've been praying. So God said, give him $5,000. So I ran in the back, cut a check, jumped up during the service, and I gave his church $5,000. And that set off a move of God in our church that I have never seen. Because within the end of the month, not only did we raise the 60,000 needed, but as a church, we raised $108,000 by the end of the month. Come on, come on, come on. And here's what, I, here's what I know, is that would not have been possible if I didn't obey God. That faith plus obedience equals breakthrough. Yeah. 
That when you have faith in God and you obey God, then it knocks down the walls in your life. It doesn't make sense. Give five, get a hundred, doesn't make sense because God's ways are not our ways. They're better. I could just tell you crazy stories. Stories like, like there's a couple in our church right now where they've been battling years of infertility. And they had almost reached the point to where they gave up. But that night she had a dream. And in that dream, God spoke to her and said, go down to the front, let the elders of the church anoint you with oil and pray that you may be healed. She didn't even know that was a Bible verse out of the book of James. So, so the next day she comes into church and what does she do? Hey, I had this dream. Come down front. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll lay hands. And within a week she was pregnant and now she got two boys back in the nursery. Come on. It doesn't make sense because God's ways are better than all our ways. So we trust him, we believe in him, and we obey him. So what is God telling you to do in your life? What is that crazy thing? Maybe it's asking you, hey, I give up this habit. Hey, give this up. Hey, let this thing go. Hey, maybe you need to change jobs. Maybe it's time for you to apply for that grad school program you've been putting off for the last 10 years, whatever it is. Maybe your next step of faith is becoming a member, going to next steps. Maybe your next step of faith is just filling out that connect card. You feel God pulling on your heart right now. I need a home church. I like this church. So come fill out that connect card and be a part of the church. I don't know what your next step is. We all have some act of obedience. It could be just getting into therapy. Say, what? I have a therapist. See him every week. I have coaches and mentors in my life who speak wisdom into my life. I have elders that are above me as a church. Maybe that's what your next step is. Maybe that's the act of obedience that you need to take. See, sometimes we're all just waiting for the supernatural. Sometimes God's just waiting us to do the natural. Everybody wants to move a God, but God might be up in heaven looking down and saying, I'm waiting for you to move first. You want to see the miracle? Walk around that city six times. And on the seventh time, you walk around. That's when I'll do it. Faith plus obedience is what causes the walls to fall down in your life, which leads to the third thing. They fall down because of worship. Here's what it says. It fall because of worship. On the seventh day, they rose early in the morning at the dawn of day, and they marched around the city in a manner seven times. It was on that day that they marched around the city seven times, and the seventh time, when the priest began to blow the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout for the Lord! Woo! Shout for the Lord has given you this city. So the people, what did they do? Sorry to wake up your nap. What did they do? They shouted before the Lord. All right. Don't let first service outshout you. All right. They shouted for the Lord and has given you the city. And the trumpets, they were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people, they shouted with a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight up before them, and they captured the city. Now, let me give you a pro tip when it comes to reading the Bible. It's one of the reasons I love expository preaching as a church. Because not only does it help you understand the Bible, not only can you get in small groups and discuss the Bible, but it helps you read the Bible for yourself. And so you can go home and next week we're going to be continuing Joshua. I'm going to be doing Joshua 7 next week. So you can go ahead and you can go home and you can read it and you can interpret and understand it for yourself. And so here's a little pro tip just so you can understand how to read the Bible better. When it repeats the same word or phrase multiple times, that's what gives you the indication of what that text is actually about. So when we read Joshua 1 through 20, what is a word that shows up every single time? I've been saying it with emphasis throughout this whole thing. What is the word? Shout. It's the word shout, which means that this passage is actually about worship. Faith is an act of worship. Obedience is an act of worship. Romans 12, 1 says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, for this is your spiritual act of worship. This is actually a passage that is about, is about worship. And that word shout in, in the Old Testament, um, it, it's the word ruah. And, and that word right there, it means to pierce the ears with noise. So it's a, it's a loud shout. It's an act of worship on behalf of the people of Israel. That's why God had them shout, and that's why they blew the horn, because it was an act of worship before the Lord, that God was going to come through, declaring the victory before the victory. They were praising the Lord. They were singing songs to the Lord. They were magnifying God's name. They made a loud shout before the Lord. Yeah. 
I'm making some of y'all uncomfortable right now. You're like, but I, I'm just not, I'm just not a loud person. Listen, ask your spouse if you're a loud person. He <laughs> said, but I'm just more, I'm just more reserved when it comes to worship. Listen, I'm just gonna say something. Reserved worship is a learned behavior. Like when you read through the Bible, you're not gonna find, you're not gonna find reserved worship. Right? When people worship in the Bible, they get excited, they get passionate, they blow trumpets, they make great noises before the Lord, they shout before the Lord. Some of you say, but that's not the tradition that I was raised in. I understand, I get it. But may we not be more committed to our traditions than we are to the scriptures. May we not be more committed to the denomination than we are to God's word in our lives. See, listen, I, I want to be a church that's loud. I'm loud. <laughs> so I want to be a part of a church that's loud. Right? Because here, here's what many people are taught. Many people are taught, you were saying, you're taught, shh, you're in church. That's why you ain't in that church no more. <laughs> but a dead church is a quiet church. A living church is a loud church, a church that gets excited about what God's doing, a church that gets passionate about the things of the Lord, a church that loves to worship and loves to praise, a church that loves to sing, a church that makes a joyful noise before the Lord. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of because that's the church that sees walls fall down, a church that worships. And so... Many people, you think, you think, but I'm just, that's just not me, though. You're like, I'm just, I'm just quiet. Listen, there's a time to be quiet. I mean, they walked around the city for six days. So, I mean, they were quiet. God told them, keep your mouth shut. He said, he said you need to be quiet. And there's a time to be quiet. I mean, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Take refuge in the shelter of his wings. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. There is a time to be quiet. But when you're up against a wall... You don't whisper the walls down. When you're up, when you're up against a battle, right? You don't say, please, sir, excuse, excuse me. Minorly inconvenient right now. No, no, here's, here's what you do. When you find yourself up against the wall, you lift your voice in praise. God, you are so good. God, you are so great. God, you are magnificent in all of your ways. You lift up a shout of praise. When you're in a battle, you make a great shout. When you're in a war, you make a great shout. Whenever you find yourself in a situation, you lift up a voice of praise. Say, God, if you don't come through right now, it ain't going to happen. God, if you don't do a miracle, it's not going to work. I need you. I want you. It's when God's people cry out from the bottom of their hearts, from the depths of their souls, and they sing praises to God. That's when walls begin to fall. So at Redemption, we love the Bible, and we love practicing what we preach. And so we're going to practice worshiping right now. So I'm going to give you some verses. You're warmed up. I got my man in the back. He's my hype man in the crowd. And so we're going to worship the Lord right now. And so we're going to obey the teachings of the Bible. Because some of y'all, you're in a Jericho, and you've been way too quiet for too long. Some of y'all, you've been, you've, been, you've been up against the wall trying to whisper. And it hasn't fallen yet. And so instead of a whisper, you need to learn to worship. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to practice this. I'm going to read you Bible verses. And I'm just going to show you the exuberant praise that God wants of his people. Listen to this. Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the loud songs of joy. Woo! Hallelujah. Shout for joy to God. Oh, all the earth. Shout to him right now. God, you are good. God, you are glorious. God, we worship you. Psalm 51, sing aloud to the God of our strength. Shout for joy. And I have to say that. I have to say that, sing aloud, because right now some of y'all saying, but I'm shouting in my heart. <laughs> if your heart is that loud, you might know to go see a doctor. <laughs> but some of y'all think like, oh, I was just, that's just not who I am. Listen, don't let Pastor Cody worship for you. 
Don't let Bree and the rest of the band and the team, don't let them worship for you. Don't let JC worship for you. It's not a spectator sport. Like when we're up here singing songs, okay, what we're not doing is we're not performing. Here's what we're doing. We're pointing you to Jesus. That's what they're doing. So during worship, you raise your hands, you clap, you sing, you dance, you get a little excited for what God is doing. Don't let nobody worship for you. You worship God for yourself. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. When I worship, that's what it is. It's a joyful noise. It's not a good noise, but it is a joyful noise. Right, I've even had the worship team take their in, put their in-ears in and walk to the other side of the stage because I get a little too loud over here. <laughs> but listen, we're not, we're not, we don't, no one cares how well you sing, right? Uh, no one cares. The only person who cares is God. Yeah. And he doesn't, it doesn't matter and bother him how good or bad your singing is. He just loves it when you sing. Listen, if God can interpret tongues, then he can auto-tune your voice. It's this heavenly noise, all right? <laughs> And then it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Oh, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving and enter into his courts of praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Come on, church, let's just stand right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. Oh, we lift your name up. You are so holy. You are so good. Oh, God, we worship you right now. Does it just feel good to worship? Does it just feel freeing to sing to the Lord? Does it just feel freeing to be able to, to worship God? And here's the reason why. It's because you were made to worship. Yeah, we are, we are worshipers. And here's what you're doing. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping your problems. Right? When you make God big, your problems get small. Right? But when you make your problems big, is what you do. You're making your God small. That's why worship is so important. The psalmist says, we magnify you, O Lord. You know what that word magnify means? To make big. So the bigger, the more you worship God, the bigger your God gets. And the smaller the walls become in your life. Walls fall through obedience, through faith, and walls fall through worship. So as we close, let me give you five reasons why we worship God. Because some of y'all right now, you're like, what kind of church did I just walk into? You're like, your friend brought you this week, and you're like, do they do this every week? Is this kind of, I thought you said nothing weird was going to happen. Well, welcome to redemption. The only thing you can expect is you don't know what to expect. All right. Five reasons why we worship. One, we worship him for who he is. That he is great and he is good and he is glorious. He is beautiful. He is majestic. He is amazing. He is incredible. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the creator of the universe. Colossians says, by him, to him, for him, through him, all things are held together. We worship him for who he is. The second is we worship him for what he has done that he has been faithful, he will be faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. Listen, if the only thing God ever did in your life was die for your sins, that's more than enough for you to worship him. But he has done so much more in your life than just remove sin and shame and death and the grave and hell and life apart from him forever. He has done and given so much more to you, and so he is worthy of worship. Number three, we worship him because he commands us to. Listen, I'm going to say something in first service. It was, it, it, people perked their head up, but I, I'm going to double down and I'm going to say it again. Is that like, we don't worship God because he needs it. Yeah. Right. Hey, we worship God because we need it. Right. Right. It's not like God's up in heaven going, oh no, they're not worshiping me. I've lost all my power. <laughs> it's not like he's Tinkerbell and if people stop believing in him, he just ceases to exist. Right, God will be worshipped one way or the other. And so it's going to go a lot better for you if you learn to worship him. Right. Right, the Bible says that the rocks will cry out for him. And I ain't going to let no rock take my place. I'm going to worship God. And so God tells us to worship him because we need to worship him. It does something in our life. It does something in our heart. It changes who we are. Worship doesn't change who God is. Worship changes who we are and how we live our lives. So we worship him because it's the best thing for us. And that's why he tells us to do it. And then number four, we worship him because it honors him. 
As you honor God, God honors you. As you bless God, God begins to bless you. As you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. It's about worshiping him and honoring him. And then lastly, it's because worship invites God into our presence or his presence into our lives. Psalm 22.1 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so if you're in a problem, you know what you need? You need God's presence in that situation. And so when you worship God, here's what you're doing. You're doing just like the Israelites did. Say, God, I'm up against the wall and I need you to come through. And as you lift up that shout of praise, God's presence comes rushing in to that situation. As a church, here's what I want you to take away from this, is that your volume determines the victory you see in your life. You need to turn up the volume of your faith. You need to turn up the volume of your obedience. And you need to turn up the volume of your worship. Come on. Let me close with this quote. It comes from one of the commentaries that I used this week from Warren Weiserby. Says nothing paralyzes our faith like the attitude that things will never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. That outlook determines our outcome. If we see only the problems, then we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities within the problems, then we have the victory. Obstacles are opportunities in disguise because they lead us to greater acts of worship. Problems are greater possibilities because they lead us into a life of faith. Trials become triumphs because of the obedience that we have to God. And the greatest test that you face can become the greatest testimony of your life because here's how Joshua closes. Verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. After the battle of Jericho, this great trial he was up against. The rest of the Canaan land heard about it. And that wall became a witness to how incredible our God is. Obstacles are opportunities. It really just depends on what you do. Will you have faith? Will you obey? And will you worship him?